title of the message is called, What Are You Wearing? <coughs> Turn with me to Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. Amen. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. They paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man, there was, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. <coughs> Tell you what, when I read this parable, my heart goes out to the man without the wedding clothes. Honestly, the king kind of seems mean and cold. I mean, what if the man didn't have any wedding clothes? What if he was wearing the best thing he had in his closet? At least he accepted the invitation. The other people didn't even bother to show up. But see, I know that the king in this story represents God. My God is not mean or cold. See, I'm looking at this from a Western mindset. Come on, ladies. What's one of the first things you do when you get that wedding invitation in the mail? <laughs> What am I going to wear? That's what Haley says. What am I going to wear? <laughs> uh, not so with the wedding being described here. See, let me read you something I found regarding Eastern weddings, especially that of royalty. I think it will help us bridge the cultural gap between ourselves and the biblical writers. It was part of the estate of wealthy persons in the East to have a great store of costly dresses laid up. The expenditure of the king of Persia for presents cannot be counted. The number of dresses which he gives is infinite. His wardrobes are always full of them, and they are kept in assorted warehouses. It was their practice that costly dresses were often give, given as honorable presents, marks of special favor and upon marriage festivals, gifts were distributed with the largest hand. If the gift was one of costly raiment, it would reasonably be expected that it should be worn at once to add to the splendor and the glory of the festal time. So the rejection of a gift is ever esteemed as contempt of the giver. Wow. That puts it in a much better light for me. Paints man and the king in a very different picture. You see, the guest was plainly guilty of coming into the wedding guest in his own clothes. He had refused the provided garment. This was an insult both to the king and his son. 
The garment was provided, but it was not accepted. I don't know why he didn't put on the garment. Maybe he thought the clothes that he had on were good enough. Or maybe he was told, all you have to do is accept the invitation and the king will let you in. I don't know why he didn't accept it. But he did not and was not willing to uh, put on the provided garment. So this begs the question, what does it mean to put on the wedding garment? Revelation 3.5 says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Turn with me to Revelation 19, starting verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Other translations say the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts of the saints. See, now some may say that sounds like a works-based salvation. No. You cannot earn salvation. We are saved by God's endless love and grace for us. There is nothing we can ever do to earn our salvation. There is nothing we can ever do to earn God's magnificent love. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you know, righteous acts of the saints, it's not works-based salvation. It's the complete gospel. We broke God's law. Because of our sin and our rebellion against God, we were rightly in prison. We were doomed we were destined for destruction. We were a prison with no chance of getting out. We were on death row. Because of our rebellion against God, there was a punishment waiting for us that we fully deserved. And we had an enemy, and he had us in our sights. He was coming towards us with his tools of torture, getting ready to relish every last minute of what he was going to do to us. But then in stepped our intercessor our Savior, who stood in between us and the enemy and took the blows that were rightfully ours. Our Savior was beaten. He was turned to a pulp. He died. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. He died for us because he loves us. God shows his love for us in this, that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Before Christ, there was a sign over our prison cell. It read, condemned, guilty, eternally separated from God. But now, because of the sacred blood of Jesus, it reads, justified, forgiven, redeemed. This is unbelievable news. I mean, who would not accept that kind of invitation? <laughs> Now, if you're here tonight and you've never accepted, accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, 
you don't have a Savior standing between you and the eternal punishment, and there's a tug on your heart that's convicting you of your sin and your rebellion against God, and the good news is tonight you can be forgiven. Amen. You can be redeemed. There is nothing you have to do. There's nothing you can do but accept the blood of Jesus and turn towards God. Amen. See, the conviction that you're feeling is what the Bible calls the gift of repentance. Amen. It's a free gift and it allows you to see and recognize your sin, turn from it, and run to God. This is the first step of the gospel. This is good news. <laughs> Here's the problem. Many have stopped with the good news right there. From their prison cell, they thank God with their hands lifted up, saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for paying the penalty of our sin. But they stay in their prison cell. They keep their chains on. They keep their old sinful nature. They keep their old clothes. All the while, God's word is telling us to check the door of the prison cell. Jesus' <laughs> blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue for which we could make the escape. <laughs> See, he didn't just deal with the penalty of sin. He dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. The door of the prison lot is, is unlocked. Walk out. Amen. There is freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. And when you walk out of that prison cell and you walk into your newfound freedom and liberty, you realize even more. The king himself is beckoning you into his very presence. He wants you to live right where he lives. He's giving you access to his very throne room. It's good news. And as you're in your throne room, he reveals even more to you. He says he wants to adopt you as his child. You, a former enemy of God, a prisoner on death row, are now a child of the king. Just when you think you can't get any better than that, says, now that you're part of my family, I want you to represent me. I want you to be my ambassador. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I rescued you from and tell the other captives about me. Tell them about my truth. Tell them about my love. There are many who need to hear about me. Our response, our response here is absolutely, yes, God, I'll do anything for you. See, God warns us. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. They'll persecute you. They'll destroy you. They'll kill you. Our response is, I don't care. Jesus, you shed your blood for me. I will gladly shed my blood for you. Amen. But see, there's one last thing. See, this last part, it's the completion of the gospel. Christ's blood didn't just deal with the penalty of sin not just the problem of sin, not just an invitation into his very near presence, not just adoption to sons and daughters, not just the privilege of being his ambassador. 
See, what he tells us to do, it's impossible. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And if you do it in your own strength, he will fail. But I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children do not lose. He asks us, he asks us, will you give me your body? Will you give me your body so that I can come and make it my home? I, God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, want to dwell inside of you. I will take your hands and I'll make them my hands. Amen. Take your feet and make them my feet. Amen. Yes, Lord. I'll take your mouth have them speak my words. Amen. Have your eyes, make those eyes see the things that I want to see in the world. Amen. Take your heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh yes. so that the very heartbeat of heaven is inside of you. <laughs> you will care for the very things that God cares about. Your prayers will become his prayers. Will you allow him to overtake your life? Will you clothe yourself with Christ? Because then and only then will we go out into the world as victors. Because the living God Almighty dwells within us. When the wolf pack surrounds us, we will stand in the authority in the name of Jesus Christ, and we will not back down. Amen. Because we do not go off to war to lose. We go off to war to win. God's lambs beat the wolf pack. That is the gospel. The gospel beats back the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually, Greater is he who is in us than who is in the world. <laughs> this is good news. You see, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to pull off the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline, the intellect, the strength, fortitude or the perseverance but he can you can't love the lost you can't love those who spit in your face but he can we don't pray that he would teach you to love like he loves we pray that he would fill you with himself so that he could love in and through you don't pray that he would teach you how to have joy now we pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try to imitate on your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works. Because now it's him imitating himself. And he is very good at being God. <laughs> so no, the righteous acts of the saints, it's not a works-based salvation. Our works are filthy rags. But the righteous acts of the saints, 
or a beautiful wedding garment for the bride of Christ. Amen. Come on, Mary guys. Yeah. <laughs> you remember your bride on that wedding day? <laughs> I remember my bride when she walked down that aisle. Look at that. <laughs> she took my breath away when she walked down that aisle. She still takes my breath away. Amen. I don't deserve a bride like that. But praise God, he gave her to me anyway. <laughs> but Jesus Christ... He deserves his spotless bride. Yes. Yes. So he will have it. Yes. <laughs> now, the righteous acts of the saints is not a works-based salvation. It's the completion of the gospel. Listen, we can see in the word the contrast between our own strength and the gospel. You can see it in Peter, when in his own strength he swore to follow Jesus but denied him three times. Or in Thomas, on his own strength, would not believe until he saw Jesus with his own eyes. But when filled with his strength, when filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches boldly and he saves 3,000 in one day. Amen. Church history tells us that Thomas traveled all the way to India to share the gospel and courageously laid down his life for the cause of Christ. Turn with me to John 15, starting in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We all have a destiny. We all have righteous acts that have been predestined by God for us to perform since the foundation of the world. Turn with me to Ephesians 2, starting in verse 8. This is probably one of the verses that's most often quoted that keeps people from doing, performing their righteous acts. But it's important that we keep reading. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then we stop there. We've got to keep reading. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Let's go to Jeremiah 29.11. This is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. I don't think it's being misquoted tonight. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you a hope and a future. One more. Let's go to Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. 
Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Listen, we've got righteous acts to perform. We can't do it on our own, though. This is one of the key roles of our church leaders. One of their key roles is to equip us for our righteous acts. Let's go to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The complete gospel. Listen, while I was preparing this message, I got an even greater appreciation for the church leaders that I have. (laughs) Eric, Jen, Matthew, Cassidy, Charlie, Joe, Dee Dee, Steve's not here, but y'all are good at what you do. (laughs) Y'all's ability to pour into us and to equip us is truly amazing. Can I get a witness to that? (laughs) I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. It's no wonder that the word says y'all are to receive double honor. Thank you for everything that you do for us. I'm ready to swim my sword, by the way. <laughs> what is it that the Lord wants to do in and through you? What is it that you know he's asked you to do, but you're too afraid to do it? Or maybe you just don't think that you can, or whatever the excuse Whatever it is he wants you to do, I want you to encourage you to take hold of it. Take hold of it. Let's go to Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Listen, y'all, I'm done. I'm done living in fear. I'm done believing the lie that the enemy has been telling me for years. This Lamb of God is about to beat back the wolf pack. (laughs) See, I don't have to do it alone. I can't do it alone. First and foremost, it is God himself doing it through us. And I've got my brothers and sisters in Christ to support me. That, my friends, is encouraging. (laughs) I'm going to close with this verse. Turn to Ezra 10.4. This is a, a verse the Lord showed me the other week. It's been very inspirational and encouraging to me. 
but uh, I think that it applies to a lot of people here tonight as well. So this is my message. I'm going to read this verse, and then I'd like for all of us to stand up together, and we can read it together as a family. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. All together now. <laughs> Let's do it. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. You can stay standing because we're going to close. I don't think anything needs to be added to that message. Did the brother give you something to chew on? If you read through Ephesians 4, he tells us to take off the old self and to put on the new self. It's almost like we can't put on his clothes if we won't take off ours, huh? Church, I want to encourage you to weigh carefully what the brother said. That came out of his heart and out of his life. We can all argue over what a scripture means. You can never argue over what a scripture means to the man who's speaking it, though. Do you receive that as sincere? I do. I think it was perfect. And after a very long, very hard day, it fed my soul. So I would like to say thank you to Alex. Why don't we pray together? We normally have altar calls. We do so many things. But let's just be honest. A lot of times people walk to an altar and walk away unchanged. If you contemplate it, if you pray about it, if it's not an emotional decision, if it's absolutely real, great men of God like Keith Green have been saying for a long time, come see me next week. Right? I don't think Jesus is interested in any more half-hearted decisions. It's time to stand up and do what we were called to do.